0: ...among the easiest (laughs) conversations, podcast interviews you've
1: ever done. All right. I love it. For sure.
0: Absolutely. You guys give me the thumbs up when we're speeding. Okay, guys. We are rolling into another episode of the Candace Owens Show. You guys know there's always that moment where you go, look, mom and dad, I've made it. I'm actually having that moment today because my dad, for those of you who do not know is the biggest New York Jets fan that has ever lived. So he's going to watch this, and he's going to freak out. So look, Dad, I made it. Sitting across from me, I have Burgess Owens, University of Miami Hall of Famer, first-round draft pick to the New York Jets, and, of course, Super Bowl World Champion with the Oakland Raiders, Burgess Owens. Welcome to The Candace Owens Show.
1: Candace, thank you so much. And I feel the same way, by the way. I'm uh, really excited about being with you, and I just I've loved your stance and your passion, and uh, we're making a big difference. And I, I just love the fact that, you're, that we're all a big part of this of this message now for sure.
0: So I think we have to start off by clearing up some rumors. and get <laughs> asked this question <laughs> all you. the time, which is: Is Birch Bert, Owens your dad? Is he is he your dad? No, he is not my father, but my father's going to be so happy that I'm speaking to you today. And
1: I'm asked the same thing every other day. So yeah, we can clear it up. But but uh the the fact is we have the same philosophy, the same passion. So somewhere in there, there might be a linkage. We just have to dig in and figure definitely. out where it is. It yeah.
0: definitely is. And I feel an Owens with with con- a conservative perspective, there has to be a link somewhere. And you had such an amazing moment in Congress that went absolutely viral. And then I think I had mine maybe a couple of weeks prior or maybe a couple of weeks after. And I got to tell you, congressional people, they better shudder when they hear an Owens is coming to the Hill. (laughs) You know?
1: Well, I think what was neat is uh, when any American puts a God, country, and family first, then we can be passionate, we can be honest, we can be uh, uh, in your face with truth. And that's what the left is not used to. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm excited about knowing, first of all, I'm not, I'm not the odd man out anymore. I've been, a, I've been a conservative all my life, but I've been a Republican for the last 36 years or so. And it's just nice to see so many black Americans waking up and being passionate about what they're now finding out. And once we get it, we're not ever going back. And that's what the left is most concerned about.
0: I totally agree. I I always say this. I say, I've seen black liberals go conservative, but I've never seen a black conservative go liberal, which means when you wake up to the truth and you know what's what and you realize that you can be the author of your own destiny and you're in the driver's seat of your own life and you don't need handouts, you need a positive perspective and you need hard work. I mean, nobody turns away from that. We have a better product.
1: We do. And it just comes down to one simple thing. If we learn our history... Uh, we will first of all have so much pride in what our country's given us, and we'll have pride in our lineage. And what the left has done is is eliminated, erased our history. So we kind of think we've gone from slavery to all of a sudden liberals gave us the right to vote in the 1960s, and all in between, those great, great Americans that paid the price—they went out, built their businesses, built their families, um, went went to war, fought for our country. Those things are not taught. And once we learn that, we realize that we are truly blessed to be in this country and to have the, the lineage we had that stood as strong as they did for the things they did.
0: I'm interested in the fact that you said you've been a conservative your whole life. <coughs> so you grew up in Tallahassee, Florida. Tell me a little bit about you as a child. And
1: I'd I love to tell this, this piece because uh, I, I I grew up in Tallahassee in the 60s in days of KKK, Jim Crow, um, um, segregation, and I was so proud of the community I grew up in. And that's a shocker to a lot of folks. See, my community— was very consistent across our country. Uh, During the 40s, 50s, and 60s, it was a black community that led our country in the growth of the middle class, led our country in the the, the commitment of men to marriage, men matriculated from college. Um, We were doing all the right things. And I, and I experienced it firsthand. So when I talk about what we're capable of doing and what, I, what our race can accomplish, it's not hypothetical to me. I lived it. And so I grew up in a time when around me I saw business owners everywhere. I saw the, my coaches, my uh, uh, entrepreneurs, and the message was always consistent. You live in America. You can do anything you want to. Pay the price. Be honest. Respect women. Very important. Because if you don't do that, you can forget everything else. Those kind of tenets that I grew up with allowed me to go off to the University of Miami. I was the third Black American that was actually given a scholarship to Miami. So I know what it is to—
0: Third Black American ever. To, to be given a scholarship at the University of Miami. So,
1: I, I and, and I, I grew up in a high school, I don't know if you guys remember the movie, Remember the Titans, but that was my experience.
0: Stop, I love that movie, stop. Well, yeah. Oh, what a cheer jerker. I love Denzel Washington. And so it's just, that is actually one of my all time favorite movies. Same
1: here. I don't buy very many movies, that one I bought, but uh, that was my experience. There four black Americans. We were integrating the school, Ricker's High School for the first time. And it was the first year, of my sophomore year, six, sixteen years. It was, it was it was it was very tumultuous. I mean, we were two cultures coming together, uh, overcome the the, the pressures of our fathers. A lot of fighting going on. But what happened as we were surrounded by, by a bunch of guys telling us that we weren't going to stay. They were going to make sure within two weeks there's no fight on the practice field. Two weeks we we're going to be gone. The four of us made a decision together that we we're going to hang in and not, and not quit. And by the end of that year, many of those guys who wanted us to not be there We're happy we were because we brought value. And more importantly, we felt good about ourselves because we realized we made a decision, we committed to each other, we hung in there, and we we did what we had to do. So it kind of elevated our kind of self-esteem to a degree. And that's what it's all about at all times as we face obstacles. All of us, once we overcome them, we feel much better about ourselves. And that's what our race did for for over 100 years until the leftists got in, into it and started messing us up a little bit.
0: So tell me tell me how it's possible. So I, I consider myself to be spoiled rotten. If you are a black American, I was born in 1989. If you were born in 1989, you are one of the most spoiled, overprivileged black people on the face of the planet to have ever lived in human history. I mean, that is just the truth. So tell me, tell me how it's possible that I go into a room on college campuses and I always ask the same question. I say, before we get started, I'm going to ask you by a show of hands, how many people believe that America is a more racist country today than it was 50 years ago? And at least one third of the hands will go up. And now I'm sitting across from you who grew up when there actually was racial unrest and racial discrimination, and you're saying America's a great country, great opportunities if you do the right thing. Yeah. Explain (laughs) this disconnect to me. Well,
1: we have to understand that we are truly in a fight and have been from the very beginning uh you know, Karl Marx said it very simply the first battleground is re- is the rewriting of history uh we're in a s- spiritual war you know our country is built on on Judeo Christian values from the very very beginning before those pilgrims set foot on our, on our on the soil they 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 pinned the Mayflower Compact which is a covenant between God and man and, and the rule of law that's the beginning so if you understand that then Truth and history is important. It's imperative of us. If you take away that, then anything could be substituted. And that's what the left has done. I now look back 50 years ago and see guys that I I used to fight with and and have issues with that are some of my very best friends on Facebook today because we've grown up. And we've all recognized throughout our time, first of all, that every generation in our country always seeks to find their better selves. That's what we do. It's natural. And that's because we have this God-centered culture that allows us to see each other from inside out, not outside in. And what the leftists do, very simply, is they hate all the things that makes our country great. They hate harmony, they hate the fact that we look at each other the way we do and, and, and serve each other. Notice, always notice that those who hate our nation also hate to serve. Because in the process of serving each other, you fall in love with each other. I don't care what color you are, what culture, you can still have your differences, but we can literally in, like in the old days, agree to disagree, which is not happening today. So the reason why you're running into that. Is because the leftists have done a real job in terms of weaving themselves into the real foundation of our nation, mm-hmm. and they've been doing it for a long, long time. If I just want to say, this one thing.
0: You can, you can say <laughs> as much as you want.
1: Okay. One thing that um, that I've come to to kind of recognize: Americans are eternally, eternally eternal optimists. You know, we go out and we build our businesses, we, we we have our kids and look at their future, we look at our vacation, we look at, at how, much, how, how we can pay the price and have a good time at the end of the day, and we kind of go to sleep at the wheel learn, knowing that there's true evil out there until things happen. You know, we had Pearl Harbor, we had 9-11, and all of a sudden we see evil is at our doorstep. Once we see that, Americans always do the same thing. We wake up and we go out and we win. Unfortunately, what's happening with our culture is that we've been having evil going at us for a long, long time for over a century, and not knowing it, we've allowed them to progressively gnaw away like little ball weavers at at our center, and we have to to realize, guys, we can't allow this to happen anymore. Mm -hmm. What I'm so excited about with the black community is that it's taken a while for us to get here, but we're finally waking up. Mm -hmm. We are waking up. We're realizing that the promises, the lies that been told us that we need to not continue this process, that we need to look up and realize how blessed we truly are. And that we can, there's a lot more that we can do for positive and dreaming versus being negative and and bemoaning where we are. So I'm excited about that fact, and and uh, and just looking forward to, to the the next few years as we wake up. The key is, is that the rest of America takes a lesson from us. Mm. You know, we have done so many great things, and we've also seen what happens when we fall asleep at the wheel. Let's not let that happen for the rest of the country. Because what they did to my our community, they're trying to do again to America, and we can't allow allow it to happen.
0: It's true. And and I think the one thing that I want all black Americans to know is just how good it feels to put down that weight of victimhood. You didn't even know it was a weight and you've been walking with it your entire life, just holding it. You know, me against the world. The world is against me. I can't. I won't be able to do it because of racial unrest. When you have... like this conservative perspective of, wait a second, yes, I can. Are there bad eggs everywhere in society? Of course there are. But that's not that's not what America is. We're not a fundamentally bad, evil, rotten society. And when you accept that, suddenly it literally feels exactly like putting down a weight and you feel like you can fly. And then you, so, you say to yourself, what do I want to do? Yeah. What what do I want to do, and how can yeah. I get there? And you'd be surprised that if you stop calling everybody a racist, they might want to work with you on your ideas and some of your goals.
1: And there's there's so much, uh, so much that we can do once we take that weight off. Uh, the most important thing about the American way is this is the place. And this is the reason why billions of people have come here throughout our history, billions want to come here because it's a place of hope. It's a place of second chances. It's a place where. You can literally every single day you can fall on your face and have the freedom to get back up one more time and make it happen. And what people don't recognize, these kids particularly, everybody who's made it happen has failed through the process. They failed their way to success because that's the way it works. And the process of, that, of going through that is how we really begin not only to appreciate the opportunity, but we appreciate each other and realize what we've done together. We the people have done so much together, and that's the part that's not been taught. It's not been a black thing, or a white thing, or a Jewish thing. It's been we the people across the board. And, and to that point, <clears throat> when I was on the Hill, I had a chance to talk about my great-great-grandfather, uh, Silas Burgess, and I, I carry the name Burgess because of him. And I'm just so blessed when I know what he did and what he accomplished, that I have the opportunity, the, the, the privilege of carrying his name for my life. Um, he came here in the belly of a slave ship, Sold to an, on an auction block with his mother in Charleston, South Carolina, to a very evil man, Burgess Plantation, and um, she ended up. He, by age of eight, he was orphaned, but he had around him slaves that believed in the idea of freedom, and they were willing to take a risk. Not only did they take a risk to escape, but they had enough compassion to take a, take take a with them, and they went the southern route of the Underground Railroad, which I had never known about.
0: It's a southern, southern route.
1: route. There's a southern route of the Underground Railroad. When I was, yeah. Where'd it go? <clears throat> they went out to Texas and Mexico. That's what I figured, okay. But here's the thing. I grew up at 12 years old. My all-time hero was, was Harriet Tubman. Because not only did she escape, but she had the compassion and the courage to go back over 20 times to bring over 300 people out. Mm-hmm. That was the part that made her unique and different. So when I think now about it, why should I've been surprised if there's a southern route? If there's a northern route, I mean that's who we are. Americans are who we are, no matter north, south, east, and west. They went the southern route, went through Texas, uh, 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 per, uh, out to Smithfield, Texas, where he eventually became a successful entrepreneur. Owned 102 acres of land, paid off in two years. Uh, started the first black church, the first black elementary school. Had uh, 16 kids. His first child was Alpha Omega. He, what he, it was interesting, is he became a Christian. Now, this is the point I want to make about we the people. Coming across on a horrendous trip across from, from, from Africa at that young age, being sold to a very evil plantation owner, escaping and then yet being able to forgive and, and, and figure out as he traveled throughout the country, it was, both, again, facilitated by uh, a Mexican and, and uh, German-Americans, that there were people out there different than him that weren't all evil that actually had a, a love in their hearts, that they opened up their, their fields, their barns, gave them comfort and gave them security, that he actually realized that there's a God in heaven and that he's been looked after all this time. And because of that, he had such a great impact on his community and down to today, where I'm sitting here before you today because of what those, those people did to help him escape and the, and the experience and, that he had as he passed through, just meeting for a minute or two, but it left an imprint, on him that's that's passed down for for generations now.
0: That's such a beautiful story, and and this actually gets into taps into when they try to do this blanket thing all white people are racist, right? White people have done this evil injustice, white Americans have done this evil injustice of slavery. And then you go, but well, wait a second, who freed the slaves? Who fought and died to, to, to end slavery? Who who helped us develop that route for Harriet Tubman, whether it was North or South, to escape? Yeah. And then you hear this ridiculous, because now we've, we've reached pick, peak ridiculousness on the left, we need reparations, or we're, our country's never going to be able to get over this, this, no. this horrible sin of slavery. And I say to myself, how is this even going to work? How are you going to figure out who descends from the white Americans that freed the slaves? And well,
1: well, Candace, you're you're, made, you're using critical thinking. It I know. will drive you nuts. So don't— I know. Don't <laughs> think tri- critically. It will, def- it will drive you nuts. No, they have to understand. This is the point I can't st- uh, state strong enough. Our enemy has not been white supremacists. It's been black elitists. Yes it's been those among us who take who have our color, skin color, could care less about other people because they see themselves as a different sphere. And I want to make one, one, one point that a lot of people don't recognize. Again, <clears throat> we've been under attack for a long, long time. Um, real quick history uh, uh, about how fast our, our community was turning around because once someone has never fe- uh, experienced freedom it, and the idea of going out and building a family and, and having a business, if you never feel, uh, felt that feeling and all of a sudden you feel it, you're going to be all in. Mm. It's something that it's hard for us even to come close to understanding because we've never been there. But these folks, when they came out of, uh, out of the Civil War, Book D. Washington, one of the greatest Americans in our history, and I didn't say black Americans, one of our greatest Americans, <coughs> um, started Tuskegee University. Uh, See institute, University. yeah, absolutely. In, in 1882. By 1905, Tuskegee, the little place in Alabama, was producing more self-made millionaires than Harvard, Yale, and Princeton combined. And I can go through a litany of things that that, that Book T. Washington did with the help of um, Andrew Carnegie or Henry Ford and, and Washington Carver. There are so many opportunities where you see Americans from, from all backgrounds, all races, coming together because they believe that everyone should have op- a second chance in this country. And if you look at each other the way, again, God does, you think everybody deserves to have this feeling that we have of hope and opportunity. Why walk around... Why should we walk around having this idea of understanding we can move forward and thinking this should, should be a selfish thing? Back to the NAACP. <clears throat> Starting in 1910, as, as our race was becoming the most competitive race and in, in, uh, minority race of any other race out there, NAACP, NAACP starts off in 1910, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. The problem is there's no colored people that started the NAACP. It was 21 white socialists, Marxist, race controlled Democrats. They had w, w. to boss their little their little token in the front, which is what they always do. And he was the face. He was the way they they, they weave themselves into our community. And that's that's how we now have come to a point where the black the N.W.C. by the way took them six, 65 years to get their first black president. Um, I
0: did not know <clears> that. Yeah.
1: In in 19 in 1918, it was the white president of an NAACP, NAACP that said that that was against the uh, lynching, the anti-lynching law passed by Republicans. He thought it was unconstitutional. Now, he did it for one year, and they finally got it right. But you have to understand, those guys are, not, are now black, socialists, Marxists, atheists, racists, Democrats, and they vote for every single thing that, that keeps our race hopeless. If you look at the track record of what the what the the, uh, the black Congressional Congress does, what what uh, President Obama did, everything they can do to keep their elitist group stronger and more mm-hmm. powerful, and they do that by keeping our race down.
0: Mm-hmm. They, they, they st- stood up and they <clears throat> applauded. The Black Caucus stood up and applauded when Obama announced more food stamps. Think about, they think about that. They sat and did not stand when Trump announced the lowest ever black unemployment. They sat there and, like with, their, fingers, like, with their, their arms crossed.
1: And you have to understand, uh, if you look at every single urban city in which these black elitists I call them royalty black class, have overseen for decades, mm-hmm. you see misery, hopelessness, and anger. Mm-hmm. Because they understand one thing, our country is based, is based on, on harmony. We the people come together. It doesn't say we the black, we the, we the, we the white. It's we the people who come together and we're strong with that kind of harmony. And what the leftist does, and it doesn't matter what color they are, it just happens. I think the black leftists are worse than white leftists because we trust them, mm-hmm. but they use that. Wow,
0: they that's a that. really powerful yeah. sentence. So, so
1: they've they they've they they hidden behind the NAACP back in the old days, and that's been their that's been their prototype. Then they hide behind BET Black Entertainment Television, which has not been owned by black people for twenty years now. It's owned by Viacom, white socialists, and this little 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 uh, boardroom that put all this filth into our community. They understand propaganda like no one else does. And if you can put into with our kids that don't have a father because of policies, of democratic policies, don't have a way of getting a job because of democratic policies, don't have any hope because of democratic messaging, and all you do is put in anti-white, anti-women, anti-American, anti-family, what's going to happen when you have these kids that grow up, stand on the sideline making $50 million a year, and will not stand for the flag because they've never... Pledge the flag, they've never said a prayer, they've never had an example in the house of a man who understands what it is to respect and to be appreciative. Of course, they're gonna be little Marxists because they've been trained to be Marxists. Mm-hmm. So it's be, what's behind the curtains that we have to always look at. Um, and these, pulling and,
0: the, it's who's pulling, the strings. It's who's and who's pulling that's, the strings? That's the question I always ask myself And you brought up Viacon, and that's an, a, an important place to pause because I had just said, what happened to black TV? When I was growing up, I was the Winslows, the Jeffersons, the Hudstables, black families that were together. Their goals were to be doctors and lawyers. If I went around to every black household in the inner city and I said to a black child today, what do you want to be when you grow up? How many of them do you think would say LeBron James versus wanting to be a doctor or a lawyer?
1: No, we, that, That's culture. Yeah, it, it's, and it's propaganda. No, no, people like ourselves that can actually sit and have a conversation that would like to be civil, that actually show concern for our communities will never be shown at these white-owned, black-faced uh, uh, setups that they do. And we, what we have to recognize is, is who's pulling the curtains, and that, that goes to the Black Caucus. The Black Caucus are nothing but a group of people that are opportunists. They're problem proprieteers.
0: I call they, them plantation supervisors. Oh,
1: absolutely, Oh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all they are. Mm. They are doing, they're living the American dream. They are literally, they're gonna have a great retirement. They're gonna be flying all over the world, first class. Their kids are always in the greatest schools. And then they tell the rest of us how we can't do it because the white man won't let us. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, as a, as, a, as a race, we have to recognize that all, our enemy is not always another color. Matter of fact, most cases, it's not another color, particularly in this country. In this country, people of all colors, all races, all religions want to help the underdog. Now, we should, never, we should get past thinking ourselves as underdogs, and that's the difference in our generation and my dad's generation. They never saw themselves as underdogs they saw themselves as victors. They saw themselves in their own communities making things happen, where they would be, build businesses and, and do whatever they had to do to make make things work. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, my granddad owned his own business, and, and he grew up on a sharecropping farm. Uh, and he, you know what? He started – he got off that sharecropping farm. He started cleaning households. He moved up north, uh, started cleaning households, and he would tell me the stories of, you know, of how disgusting you know, the, the first place that he moved into was and how he had to knock and basically beg for, for them to be able to pay rent because it was a time where white people didn't want him and my grandmother living in their basements. Um, and, and when he tells me these stories of going from a maintenance man to then starting his own business – he owned a dry cleaning business. He did that in a time where there actually was racial discrimination, and now you you find Black Americans, you know, so many of them at the forefront, telling us that we can't, we can't, we can't because of the color of our skin. How do I don't get how they try to justify that in public?
1: Well, that's the thing. Uh, <clears throat> there's actually something that that Booker Washington, by the way, if I remember correctly, didn't your grandfather also own? The, the property. He now lives that's down a, there. He that's owns a very it. very important. And, and you have to make sure to put yeah, that in there. Yeah, he, he owns the sharecropping
0: the, farm that he grew up on. That's
1: the American way. And that's our, that, that summarizes our race. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'll, I'll say this. <clears throat> we have gotten to a point where it's so difficult sometimes to, to explain what the American way and conservatism is. So I'm going to give you a, a present from Booker T. Washington that makes it very simple. That, that It's something we can t- tell our kids and our grandkids, and within a, f- a few minutes, they get it. If we can do this and make this make sure that everyone understands this, then we'll know who the enemy is and the right way of getting it done. Book de Washington made it very simple when he, when he, when he built his, um, the tenets of his, of his community that lasted all the way to, to the next three or four generations, uh, three or four decades. In other words, basically head, heart, hands and home. head being education, heart being God, compassion service, hands being industry and home being family. It's really that simple. It's re- and, and anyone who adheres to those tenets—I don't care where they come from, how poor they come when they get here, uh, how many obstacles they have to face—it doesn't matter. If they go ahead, educate yourself. Make sure you feel comfortable and confident about who you are, and be able to debate. So you can think outside the box when it comes down to solutions. God has to be at the center of all our lives. If we if we get if we forget God and delete God, there's nothing but evil that's left. Mm. So if you wonder what's going on with the left, it's called evil. They don't care about God. They, uh, they want to delete him every chance they get. And they, because they, they mock, don't- They mock,
0: they routinely <clears throat> mock the idea of people that are religious and believe in Jesus and Christ. And that's why they're
1: so miserable. They're miserable people. Industry, if you take away anybody's opportunity to work- You take and, away their pride. Oh, big time, big time. And the last one is home. And based on the home, is one thing that I, I, I point out every single chance I get. For us to get our home back, we teach our young men to respect women. This should be first, God, and then second, women. If they don't learn, learn to respect women, they'll never, ever be a man. I don't care how much money they make, how much uh, uh, how much praise they get, they will look at themselves in the mirror and always see a whiner weaning and wimp, mm. somebody that will never, ever get the respect of people around them.
0: But you know what? Another thing to add to that, though, is women have to learn to respect themselves. It's that another issue. Ne- that was my next one. All another right. issue. I hadn't finished. <laughs> that was my next
1: one. That's, this, that's the second part that's that's so so key to 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 point out. Uh, young ladies have to understand that they truly are the crux, the foundation of our nation uh, it's their compassion it's the idea of womanhood that's the closest thing to the unconditional love of Christ that men can never ever get to and and it's up to our women, our ladies, to raise their bar and keep it high because real men want to match that real men will compete to make sure they, they they will they will get to that point of being respected by real women. So we, we have to understand that at the end of the day, it's womanhood that truly defines our nation, the heart and our direction, and it's men that make sure that it's protected and that and we're guided, that we're will let, allow them to do what they, they need to do, make sure that, that love is, is, is put throughout our society. So it, it's a combination, it's a team effort. We all have our own, our, our way of working as a team to bring our God-given roles to the plate. And once we do that and once we teach that, we're gonna have a bunch of happy families. I grew up in one guys I mean I, can I grew up in a family gosh um I was just so blessed mm. I had a, a dad that 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 led that uh that gave a vision that protected. And have a mom that was just the best friend that he had and best friend for us. And she truly loved us. And they had very high expectations. And, uh, and I was taught very early the last thing you want to do in this household is ever, ever disrespect mom. Mm. <laughs> we learned that really, really, very, very clearly. And that habit goes on to making sure that you know how to raise your daughters, your granddaughters. That's, that's the key. To uh, see, thing I,
0: I wasn't as blessed. Like I didn't grow up with two parents. My, my parents are separated and I didn't grow up with two parents that were pillars uh, or examples in that regard. But I was blessed with having been in my grandparents' home during the formative years. And that was exactly what their relationship was. You know, granddad was in charge of the house. But grandma was in charge of the house. Do you know what I mean? Granddad used to, uh, stories, he just used to fluff his feathers, or I'm not doing this, and we're not doing that, blah, blah, blah. And my grandmother would just be in the kitchen, like, (laughs) and then magically he'd wake up, and whatever her opinion was, was exactly what happened. And there was just, he had just the most respect for her. Even now, you know, my grandmother passed in 2013, but even now, the way he talks about it, it it's it, my heart aches. You know, yeah. married since they were seventeen until her dying day. Yeah, um, and they just they put their faith in in God and 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 uh, their children, and they just they they raised us and they raised their grandchildren too. There's a, you know there's a lot of us. They raised all of us with such value, so many lectures. I tell people my granddad used to do this thing, where still I mean he still does it, but when I was young I didn't know that. He used to, whenever we did anything wrong, he would incorporate us into the prayer. Okay. So, please, God, uh, help Candace to realize that she shouldn't be turning the heat up in the middle of the night. And then I'd start crying and I'd run from the table, like, why did you have to tell God? Why couldn't we keep it between us? But Yama, uh... what I was learning at that time without realizing it, you know, respect, good values, family, having a healthy fear yeah. and uh, respect people, all of that has been systematically diminished in the black community today. We don't have respect. We don't have our families together. We don't have, you know, father heads and, and, and mother heads of the family that we have this deep reverence for. And we don't have people that respect themselves. Yeah. And, yeah. and.
1: And can I say this, Candace? Um, we also don't have those kind of memories. You see, I, I can go back. Matter of fact, I going to share a memory with you, uh, because a lot of, of we do as we grow up is we just, we're looking. We're, we're like, with the, the, and I always say the camera's always on. The camera's there's always someone watching. And, uh, and those moments we just watch mom and dad do their thing, what they're going to do anyway. And you're right. Mom and dad was the same way. Um, mom would always find, finally get her away because <laughs> she's mom. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, so anyway, um, but we had, uh, back, because they, it goes back to days of segregation. And we would take this trip from Tallahassee to Texas every summer. And I now realize why we take the trip. So we start like two o'clock in the morning. A lot of that's because on the trip, we had these, these uh, segregated bathrooms. And so dad was sort of so early. So by the time we almost got there, we didn't have to stop at restrooms or whatever. So he kind of figured that out. But I remember mean, one of these trips we stopped and uh, mom and, uh, you know, we had the, the white women and the white men and in the back was the colored. This was the days of, of segregated uh, restrooms. And this and, uh, is at a, a service station. And we stopped, and uh, Mom went into, into the white restroom like she always does because they they weren't into all that. And uh, there's these two young boys tried to to knock down, and break down the daughter to, um, to 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 get her out of there. And I remember sitting. this, like a ten year old kid in the back of the car just watching my dad get out. Didn't care how many guys it was, and he made sure that they stopped it. They was a, they and Mom came out when she when she got done, and 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 Dad showed his young boys and 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 daughter and his daughter, uh, two daughters. What real, real men do, because could, he could care less about the odds. It was all about respect of his wife, and and and, and, that sam- and that example he gave me to see what men should do, again at all times to respect women. So it was one of those those real key moments for me, and um, and I've taken for the rest of my life. those Real those men, yeah. and,
0: and I want to pause here because that that's a, that's a point that we need to press on. I talk about this all the time, and I get routinely mocked for it. And we've suddenly arrived in in into a culture and a space due to radicalized feminism, where the concept of manhood is something that's routinely attacked. The the masculinity is something that is seen as menacing and threatening. And I, they come up with these terms, you know, the left loves their terms and their expressions, toxic masculinity. And I say, I'm standing here today as a person that has their stuff together because of what you would today refer to as toxic masculinity, the way my grandfather ran our household. I mean, he was just, he was a stand up, decent, good, his word is all you needed. Mm-hmm. He would do that, he, he said he's gonna do it, that was it. You know, To this day, my grandfather, if my grandfather says he's gonna do something, he's going to do it. If he says he's not going to do something, he's not going to do something, unless my grandmother <laughs> has different opinion. Yeah. And I see that as being something that cannot be overstated or, or talked about too much, which is real men, bringing back real men, what it means to be a real man. Yeah. It's muddied now. It's very murky. Well,
1: well, there's a couple things. Um, Again, recognize that the reason why we have the definition for all these for for all the time is because God has already given us the ideas what these roles should be. And of course, uh, the left believes that they can change those rules because there's no God in their mind. They just think they can pass a law and all of a sudden, you know, it it changes. Uh, I I think the key, and I had this uh, had experience at one of my talks where this young guy. I told him I was a patriarch of my family, and my dad was a patriarch of his family, and he just he just railed against the patriarch uh, of being a patriarch. And I, I I didn't think about it at the moment. I, I should have said, "Well, I'm just very thankful that my girls will never marry you, because I'm not looking for a guy who's going to sit back and let um, be taken care of, uh, or to be protected." But I, mean, I can't even imagine what it is for for men to stand back and let women take care of them or protect them which is actually where, where, we're going, where we're going with this this whole idea. So, no, it, it comes down to, remember those four tenets, the family unit. It survived through all these, all the, from, from the beginning of time, because God um, spoke it so, that this is the way a family should look, this is the way it should be, and this is the responsibilities we all have. Um, and I think it, it, at, at the end of the day, I, I believe that a young man that doesn't quite get this and doesn't understand what it's to respect womanhood to be able to protect, provide, and, and team with womanhood in the correct way, will never be happy within himself. Mm. And really, I think he'll always be that person that, that just will never be satisfied never be happy. Mm. So we have, to, we have to be bold enough and, and confident enough to, to call it what it is. And I think that's the biggest problem we're having today, Candice. Too many people are concerned about getting along and being liked. If you put in priorities the right things, God, family, country, and race, if those are more important, who cares who likes you? Your legacy will be what you did to make a difference, not how many people like you. And those who like get into being liked, they're forgotten within 10 days after their burial, mm. uh, unless they have a record that people listen to 20 years, 30 years later. But other than that, make a difference and, and, and have, have that family unit that will be so proud of talking about you, about the memories that, that you gave because of the person you were, mm-hmm. mom or dad, that is truly what happiness is all about, and we have to make sure that we can we can have people experience it. Because unfortunately, we have so many kids now. I work with um, I work with uh, juvenile kids coming out of the system. <clears throat> it's called Second Chance for Youth, and what so I recommend
0: this is this is your this not for profit that you nonprofit. founded Second Chance for, for Youth. Youth.
1: And the four are those four tenants. Those tenants, our kids need to learn. Eighty five percent of our kids, boys coming out of the in this system, uh, have not had not have, don't have a dad around. Mm-hmm. Um, they have no idea until they go through and make enough mistakes themselves what manhood looks like. And then when they finally get it, those are the ones to say, I'm going to make sure it never happens to my boys and my, and my girls what happened to me. But they shouldn't have to go through this process of years of of pain and anger and to finally get there. So we have to recognize that the leftists, they, they do three things very good. They use, abuse, and discard. That's what they do really well. Mm. You you mentioned and I've talked about often the seventy five percent of the black boys in the state of California, two thousand seventeen study, cannot pass standard in reading reading and writing tests. Now, <clears throat> if that was transgender, Hispanic, uh no say illegal, anybody else but black Americans, there'll be there'll be a there'll be all over the place. Mm-hmm. But because of this this soft bigotry of low expectations, that have been happening for generations. We almost say, well, it's black kids. What else? What else? I what have I a different
0: theory. I think that's the goal. I think that's exactly what the Department of Education wants. Because oh, what, what was necessary um, for them to maintain slavery? Yeah. On the plantations, black Americans weren't allowed to learn how to read. Why? Because if you can read, you're educated. You can educate yourself, right? So they'd rather have us concerned with watching videos, which they're they allowed to be they're the control, authors of. They the can skew it, they can control the narrative in the same way when we were slaves on a plantation. They didn't want us reading and and picking up an abolitionist paper and hearing what was going on up north and knowing that perhaps we were gonna get saved and, and maybe being bold enough to leave to know that there was another way of life. That yeah. they didn't have to be like this. Yeah. I think that is to them. A success
1: bingo and it is no question and it's always been the same same party this is what needs to be understood uh including taking away our guns you take away a man's gun and he can't no longer protect his family what 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 does he do when evil shows up he gets on his knees and he begs and begs and pleads for everybody to be protecting around him Mm -hmm. instead of manning up standing up and fighting the way all men should do so no you're absolutely right this when i start off this whole process this is a spiritual battle we're fighting so don't think it's you know we're not in a in a little a little thing where it's, it's it's aside from the fact that we have intergenerational war against those who want to keep us the way we were in, in, in the days of slavery. Mm-hmm. It's been the same party, the same party of segregation, KKK, Jim Crow, um, welfare taking away, uh, taking away the, the industry, um, business ownership, Davis Bacon Act passed in 1982 by and and upheld now by Democrats, which basically. Uh, protected white unions against black entrepreneurs. And if you wonder why our black black community has gone from 40, 40% entrepreneurs down to 3.8, it's things like Bacon, uh, Davis Bacon, where they build these great big buildings within the inner in, 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 in city, but guess who's not working there? You know, white people come in, working, doing their thing, taking their money out of the community, and blacks in there watching it mm. while they're on welfare. So no, you're absolutely right. And this is what what needs to be spoken of. We need to be bold about the fact this is not an accident. The leftists, the Marxists, and the socialists thrive on other people's misery. It's a political strategy, and there's black leftists and Marxists and socialists that are that are worse than the whites because they allow themselves to be used as tools to stand behind as whites stand behind the curtains with the power, the ones that actually have the power, and they end up acting like like matadors. They they just open up the the floodgates and let those guys come in and do damage. Right,
0: and then they ca- they want. To- us to be miserable because misery is a state of emotion, right? There's no rational thinking, you're just emotional. So they go out and then they can point to someone and they can use you like toy soldiers. Go after this guy, the white man, the straight man, I don't know, whatever. There's so many wars and these cultural wars, there's so many different battles that you're seeing going on and it just seems like every single day you wake up and there's somebody else that you're supposed to be angry with. And I ask that question, aren't you just tired of being angry? (laughs) Like, it's actually exhausting. Even, I mean, even if it's something that you're actually mad at, you, you can hold onto it for a couple of weeks. And then you kind of like, you just get a little exhausted with being angry. This has been a long time to be angry, Black America. It has
1: been. And at the end of the day, it's all about their power. But here's something that I was taught. Again, my mom and dad uh, were, were so good in the lessons they, they, they taught me. And I remember standing in the kitchen, 16 years old, going through this little issue at, at Rickers High. And I was kind of getting a little angry. I was maybe even turning to be a hate white thing. And I remember mom saying, uh, Bergie, uh, just make sure you don't let anybody else's problem become yours. Now, the message behind that, and I've never forgotten it. Don't let a racist turn you into one. I've never forgotten that 16 years old. I remember exactly where we are standing because it's, it's, it's been with me from that point on. And, um, so <clears throat> we have to recognize, first of all, that there are people using our community for their good. And it's, and, and misery is a political strategy for them. They want to make people miserable as they go out and live in their little, their little castle behind gated walls with the police force around them, with their kids going to the best schools possible, their little, in, their little environment, their little circle, they make sure their kids can speak English, that know how to keep their pants up, that don't have tattoos all because their kids want to move on, but they don't care about our kids. And so we have to, have to take away the color thing and look at the ideology. Liberals, socialists, Marxists, and atheists hate our way. And there are good people in a Democratic Party. I used to be a Democrat, by the way. I think you were, too, mm-hmm. um, until I realized that the values that have been trained on my life were not not in, in concert with their values. But here's the thing. I believe there are good people in a Democratic Party that that because of what they listen to, really believe the Democratic Party is for them. That's why it's so important that we start to, to check out different options. Get our message from different places. And my message is very simply, don't worry about being a Republican. Be an independent. Start thinking independently. Ask yourself each 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 political uh process, where your values and principles stand. And if your if your values, for instance, are for all kids, including poor kids, to get an education, if your values are for the fact that we're tired of uh of, of our kids being murdered year in, year out. Eighteen million of them. I would think probably close to twenty million by this by, mm-hmm. by, by, by at this point. If you're tired of those kind of things, look at the party that that is doing what you're tired of. And if that's the case for that particular issue, vote someplace else. I have a feeling if if, if our race were to do that, just be independent. First of all, we will get the very best from the Democrats if it's possible. I think I think uh, in essence, I don't know how much that party can actually change because it's the seed of harvest, They've, the seed of what they they planted has always been there and it will always give the same harvest anyway. I won't get into that one, but, um, but at the end of the day, uh, we can have at least competition from both parties if we go with our values and principles first. Mm-hmm. The Re- Republican Party will wake up and do everything they can like President Trump is doing now. He's the first president that's actually put a focus on making sure the black community thrives. And I love that. Matter of fact, I was a guy that was a cruise guy initially, until I began to see, he put out the, uh, ten, uh, 10 points of what we call the Urban American New Deal. Most people have never seen it because the, the media never showed it. And as a matter of fact, you look it up, you have to go deep into the process to find it. But every single one, he's kept his promise. And I said, if he does only that, then he'll be worth being president for me. If he focuses on the black community like no one else has ever talked mm-hmm. about, I'll be okay with that. And he's done that and more.
0: Because he's a businessman, he's a he, <clears throat> he doesn't care about your race, your sex. Saying he's a businessman, he's, yeah. he's going to create opportunities, and, and the bottom line is to make sure that America is benefiting, right? And it, it's either a good deal or it's no deal when it comes to him, right? He's <laughs> a
1: businessman, but more importantly, he loves this country. He does. He he's loves a, He's it. a patriot. He loves it. And I tell you, to see someone, and I, 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 I kind of changed my way when uh, when, when Ronald, Reagan, Ronald Reagan came through, way before your time. That's, that was my that was my pivotal moment, mm. uh, and I've never seen anything like it. Same him but this is a, a man who's who's uh, put here for these times because even Ronald Reagan as good as he was and articulate uh, he was very uh, art, he articulated his ways in which most people hear it's very fun to listen to. He could not survive in this in this environment today because the leftists have pulled out all have they have pulled out all strings. they, they you know they can care less about being, being being fair they can care less about trying to win us over. They're, they're doubling down on the propaganda of lies because the people who listen to them will believe it. And they only care about making sure those people are energized, not that we are convinced mm. that those people are energized and we have to get to those people, those good people have been used and let them know, guys, don't trust them. We need to let the Eastern Indians, we need the Hispanics, we need to let the Asians, don't trust them. We are an example of what they do when you trust them. Don't be where we are. A matter of fact, watch what we're doing right now. We're sprinting off this plantation. If you follow our lead, then we'll all, we'll all, this, this entire country will come across and be a, a much better country for sure. Do you have a book? Yes. You do? <laughs> I have two. I
0: feel like you have to have yeah. a book somewhere. The, the
1: first one came out in 2016. That's why I've been doing a lot of things on Fox. It's called Liberalism, or How to Turn Good Men into Winers, Winnies, and Wimps. I love that. I know, isn't it a <laughs> neat title? And um, my goal is to get people that are a little squaring squaring about the title to read it. I think mm. it's a good. It's about our history and a lot of good things. The second one just came out last year. It's called Why I Stand from uh, from Freedom to the Killing Fields of Socialism.
0: I love that. Yes. Why I stand. Yeah. I love that. Mm. It's such a it's such a powerful title.
1: Well, you know what it is, Candace. Um, I'm I'm just so all in on America because mm. I grew up in an age when my dad had come back from the war. Um, I can't speak enough of my dad. He came back from the war, wanted to do his postgraduate down in Texas, but he couldn't because of Jim Crow laws. When he passed away, I saw this, this box that he'd never ever pointed out that had all these rejection letters. Never pointed to it, never talked about it, because he for him it was motivation. This is a 60-year-old box sitting there. And so I get a chance to look through it, and it, he ended up continuing, he and his brother, until he got to Ohio State. And uh, I was born in Columbus because he was getting his PhD at Ohio State. He got his in, uh, in agronomy. My my uncle got it in, in, in economics. They both were successful college professors for forty years. They're entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs. I mean, owned a five hundred acre farm. They wanted to bring kids out to, to learn how to, you know, all the stuff that comes from being out there and and, and work with soil. Um, we traveled the world. Um, I was five years old. I was actually living in Liberia, Africa, because he was doing a research project. This was mid fifties. This is what's going on in segregated Southern Tallahassee with that community of, of just winners. We were leading the country in the middle class. Mm-hmm. At, at, at 10 years old, had a brother, an older brother who also served in the war, who uh, works as an engineer in, in, in Wichita Falls. And as a part-time, he loved to fly. So in 1960, he bought his little plane and he would take mail from the base there up to Chicago. That was his part-time business. And into up flying out. End up flying out to Tallahassee. Ten years old, I had a chance to fly in a plane again. We weren't. We weren't wealthy. We we're just a typical middle class that was prevalent across our country. My first flight took me up, and if you don't know what stall is, I didn't know what a stall was, and he didn't explain it to me until he went up and stalled this airplane. Of course, stall is when it you feel like you're falling out of the air. Oh yeah it, that that was my impression exactly my- experience. so he realized I was panicking and he grabbed control of it and he looked over and laughed and started explaining to me what airplane lift was i will, I will never forget what airplane lift is <laughs> <laughs> that was the education that our our parents were so committed to we had a library educating and we had to read our books at all times we had to do our homework before anything else um so uh, to say the least, I don't know how I got into, uh, my 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 dad um uh, I just just so proud of that again that that generation, and we need to get back to recognizing every one of us have a history, like your your grandfather, like my dad and my great great grandfather. We all have somebody in our lineage that will give us hope, give us give us that little bit of of um, inspiration to realize what they went through
0: and how but blessed we are, and how
1: blessed we are. But we have to learn our history, and we have to work to to, to find that because it's not going to happen through our school system.
0: Well, you know what, Burgess. I'm going to start pretending we're related. <laughs> <laughs> I think I just decided that. It took, it took me one episode, and uh, I'm just going to go around and tell people, like, Absolutely. That's my uncle. <laughs> it's unbelievable.
1: Uh, well, there's a uh, connection somewhere, Candace. Definitely, so no I'm, I'm question. now going to find it. My whole team is going to be on this. Okay.
0: Um, okay. So we wrap up every episode. This has been, by the way, a great honor. You're absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm going to so go much. read your books now. Thank you um, so much. We wrap up every episode by allowing you to leave a voice message for the world, really a video message for the world. And you get to look for two minutes into that camera and just say what's on your heart. You know, if, you could, if this could be the call to action for, for our society, for American society, what would it be? Chris, do you have two minutes ready? On your mark, get set, world, I give you
1: Burgess Owens. Hello, my friends. My message is that we are the greatest country in the history of mankind because of what we, the people, have done. We need to make sure that we know our history, uh, look at each other the way God has defined this country from inside out, not outside in, know that we have an enemy that does not like our American way. They do not like the fact that we could be a harmonious people, a, an, an industrious people, a God-fearing people, a people that love family and our race and our country, and yet come together with our differences to make the very best lives for our future. So we have to understand that we're up against that, but what we do best as Americans is once we know we're in a fight, we just go out and win. So my call to, to my call to action, educate yourself uh, turn off any type of source that gives you hopelessness. Recognize the feelings you have as you listen. If you're hopeless and angry, turn the channel. At the end of the day, we're a country of hope. We're a country of, of faith. We're a country that comes together and fight together to make sure our kids have a much better generation. Let's get that done. We can get it done again.
0: That was Awesome! Thank Thank you you so much for having. I I I actually love that. If you are feeling hopeless or angry, turn the channel. channel. Thank you guys for watching the latest episode of The Candace Owens Show. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. As many of you guys already know, PragerU is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. I would really appreciate your support.